Hi, it's Rick Jones coming to you from the bridge. This is episode nine, and I hope you'll enjoy today's show. We're going to talk about both having mentors and being a mentor today. And my guest angler, Gene Hallman, is a great example of both. I've had the chance to be a mentor to Gene early in his career, and he's been a mentor to me later in his career. And of course, what's an episode of From the Bridge without another On the Road with Rick segment? In getting some feedback from listeners, I found that not only am I reaching those in the marketing, communication, and sponsorship world, but there's a, a lot of other folks that are just listening in that don't don't work in the world of sponsorship. So we're going to deviate a little bit today and and try to give them a little bit of some information that I think will help both parties. And so we're going to talk today about mentors. Have you ever stopped to think about all the mentors you've had in your life? Uh, I did some of that this past week. Uh, When I wrote my first book a couple of years ago called Analog Advice in a Digital World, uh, Baby Boomer's Words of Wisdom for the Millennial Generation, I thank three of my mentors in the forward of the book. Um, the first one was Dr. Homer Rice, who was the former director of athletics at Georgia Tech, where I worked. And Dr. Rice taught me so much about the value of organization, leadership, and team building. He had a, an amazing workbook called Leadership Through Athletics that I just wore that out, writing down things. And it's been fun to look back, you know, 35 years later at some of the things that I wrote uh, and the goals that I had and, and the way I wanted to pursue my career and how so many of those came true. Homer was an amazing leader. He was a college football coach. He was actually the coach of the Cincinnati Bengals in the National Football League at one time. He was the athletic director at both North Carolina and at Georgia Tech. But he was really a leadership expert. I, I look at our problems in society today and, and pretty much sum up that all of them are because of a lack of leadership. And I was fortunate to be early in my career, uh, be mentored by one of the great leaders of, uh, of his generation. I then learned creativity from a guy named Bob Cohn in Atlanta. Bob Cohn was the founder of Cohn and Wolf Public Relations. And today, Bob, who's again in his late 80s, is still the most creative person I, I've ever known. Uh, he just came up with more goofy ideas that were brilliant than anybody else that I knew. Um, And it was just such a joy to be around a guy that was that creative. And then lastly, but certainly not least, I learned the value from my dear friend, Jim Host, the founder of Host Communications, who has done so much for so many people in his life and is without a doubt the hardest working man I've ever known. Um, Jim Host does more asleep than most people do awake. Uh, He recently received his honorary doctorate uh, at his alma mater, the University of Kentucky. And again, Jim is in his 80s, but hasn't even begun to slow down. So these are three of the biggest uh, mentors in my life. But probably the biggest mentor I ever had was my dad. Um, He was, you know, my best friend, and he taught me the value of always doing um, the right things to the best of my ability. Um, he's been gone now 25 years, and I, I miss him every day. My mom was pretty special, too. She's been gone three years, but she was a great mentor. And it was really from my mom that I gained my love of sport. She was such a huge baseball fan. Um, I found a scrapbook several years ago that she had as a 17-year-old. She had she had graduated early from high school from um, 
Tubman High School in Augusta, Georgia, and moved to Atlanta to live with her sister. And she kept a scrapbook about a minor league baseball player that she had a crush on by the name of Eddie Matthews, who grew up to be a Hall of Famer and later played for the Atlanta Braves. Uh, I also have to thank a lot of other people who've been great mentors to me. Again, in the book that I referenced, and I want to remind you again that if you'd like a free copy of the book, Analog Advice in a Digital World, just send me uh, your mailing address to my email at rickatfishbaitmarketing.com. In that, I listed a whole litany of people that had helped me along the way. And I'm not going to go back and regurgitate that today. They know who they are. But I do want to point out some people that I either failed to list the first round or have become significant mentors to me uh, since that book has been published. Rachel Bolduc, uh, uh, that's her married name. Uh, Rachel Platt, uh, hired her right out of school, and she worked for me twice, has her own agency in Des Moines, Iowa. Just a brilliant um, consultant in the world of sponsorship has meant so much to me. I've mentioned my two new partners at Engagement Partners, Mike Millay, who's a dear old friend, and his son, David, who's absolutely brilliant. Uh, Reggie Minton was the uh, associate executive director, is the associate executive director of the National Association of Basketball Coaches, one of the wisest men I've ever known. Um, such a great mentor to me. I've been working with Brad Olecki, who was my client at the um, College Football Hall of Fame. Um, and uh, Brad has become such a, a dear mentor to me. And then finally, there's my friend Rusty Reed from ESPN Events. Uh, Rusty, uh, who you heard um, earlier on our program, uh, has just been a terrific friend and a terrific mentor to me in so, so many ways. And we're going to find that a number of the people that are listed as my mentors, I'm going to have on the show uh, because they're going to be able to mentor to you too and be able to bring wisdom uh, to the things that you're doing. But I've also had mentors by both association and through both working with them or through their books and other writings. Um, you know, sometimes you just hang out with people and while they're not directly mentoring to you, you observe how they live their lives, how they conduct their business, and you learn a lot from them. And, and a lot of these guys are coaches. For a decade, I worked with college football and college basketball coaches, and I learned so much from them. Um, one of the joys of my life was spending time as a member of the National Association of Basketball Coaches, NABC Foundation. Uh, that foundation built the College Basketball Hall of Fame in Kansas City and supports uh, an amazing middle school reading program called Ticket to Reading Rewards and does any number of other activities. Uh, and three guys that I got to serve on the uh, committee with um, have become just great uh, mentors to me. Mike Krzyzewski at Duke, obviously, who goes without saying, uh, arguably one of the greatest coaches, if not the greatest coach, certainly the greatest coach of our generation, um, and a guy has just been a tremendous leader, West Point graduate, played for Bob Knight, um, humanitarian, um, almost a renaissance man, just tremendous uh, leader. I learned so much from Mike. Uh, Roy Williams at North Carolina, dear friend, the guy that I just, just absolutely adore, like the way he conducts himself in every way. Uh, and then Bill Self at Kansas, who's become a, a dear friend, um, and I've learned so much from him. And then I served on the NABC board, not the foundation board, but just the, the regular board. And there were some 
great coaches that have become dear friends and mentors, guys like Tubby Smith and Tom Izzo and Jim Beheim, Jeff Jones, Phil Martelli, and Ron Hunter. Speaking of Ron Hunter, Ron is a guy that you may not know, but he uh, was the first coach to coach a game barefoot. He coached it to point out that there were millions of children around the world that got up every day without shoes, and he did that in support of a charity that I choose to support called Samaritan's Feet. Uh, Manny uh, Ohomi runs that charity out of Charlotte, North Carolina, and and Ron has led uh, many other coaches to support that endeavor. Um, uh, John Calipari, who's also a, a guy I have great respect for, takes his Kentucky team every year to Haiti to give out shoes to children that don't have shoes. Well, um, Ron's the new coach uh, at Tulane in New Orleans, and I'm looking forward to what he's going to do in that community with his uh, philanthropic endeavors. Um, the NABC lawyer is a guy named Dennis Coleman of an agency called Ropes and Gray, a law firm. Dennis is one of the kindest, wisest people I know, and he has been such a tremendous uh, mentor to me in so many ways. I also have worked with great women's coaches like the the late Pat Summit, Gino Ariema at uh, to Connecticut, Muffet McGraw at Notre Dame, and others. And I've had a chance to observe uh, some terrific football coaches, people like Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern, Mac Brown that's now back in coaching at North Carolina, and of course uh, Nick Saban, who is just an amazing hero of mine. <laughs> Nick talks about the process, and I'm a big process guy. Um, you know, Bob Knight once said the uh, most overused expression in society is the will to win. <laughs> we all get up every day and have the will to win. Think about the last time you played golf and you, you had the will to win, but you hadn't picked up clubs in six months. But Bob said is we don't have the will to prepare to win. Uh, and that's what Nick talks about. Uh, talking about the process is the will and the preparation to be successful. So I've learned a lot from these guys just by watching them. I was also blessed with a very strong family, uh, extended family. My mama was the youngest of three girls, and her two older sisters married twin brothers. How about that? So we were a very tight family, um, and that family was all about faith and family and, and a significant work ethic. I grew up around men that worked, and they worked really hard, and they worked really smart. And my cousin Kay... I married a guy like that, Jim Underwood, who for years was my accountant, uh, who, again, has been such a great friend and mentor to me. Um, I also have a lot of other mentors just from reading and learning from them. You know, people that I've never met in real life, but have made such a difference in my life. Uh, one of them, again, was the guy I mentioned earlier, Harvey McKay, uh, who has the McKay 66 uh, system. Um, I've read all of his books. He read an, wrote another book called uh, Beware the Naked Man Who Offers You His Shirt, which I think is a great title for a book. And it it just shows, you know, don't, don't tinkle on my head and tell me it's raining. Um, be careful about people and, and watch people and what their real motives are. Another one of my um, literary heroes is a guy named John Maxwell. John Maxwell is probably the leading leadership guru in America today. He's a former minister, and I've learned so much from reading John's books and taking John's online seminars. So here's a guy that has never uh, physically met Rick Jones, but has made an amazing difference in my life. I also read everything Tom Peters ever wrote. Tom Peters was a great creative 
um, in years past, um, and I read everything that he that he wrote. Uh, I remember reading Bill Bennett's great book um, about virtues, the Book of Virtues. Bill Bennett was a politician and worked in a number of of uh, cabinets in Washington D.C. But he wrote a book about virtues, and I think uh, it's a great book that teaches you about why you do things and how you need to give back. Uh, Tony Dungy, a former NFL coach, wrote a great book on the servant leader. And it made such a difference in my life. And I've read everything that Malcolm Gladwell has written. I think he's one of the most brilliant writers of our generation uh, or any generation. Uh, And he talks about how to look at problems differently. And I think a lot of times we get so myopic. Uh, We see the world as we are instead of the world as it is. And I think uh, Malcolm Gladwell has done a lot to change my thinking. Um, you know, Jimmy Buffett wrote a song called Manana once, and y'all know I like to, to uh, quote Jimmy Buffett a lot, but he wrote a song by Manana that the tagline goes, you just might turn out to be wrong. Uh, so uh, I think we're all wrong about things sometimes, and I think the more we read from others, the more we change our perspective about the world. And then finally, for me personally, I've had a significant amount of spiritual mentors. Um, you know, God's very important in my life, and you know, the journey, you need to take the journey spiritually with other people. Uh, obviously, my wife, Charlotte, is probably the most godly woman I know, uh, and it's been such a joy to be along that path with her. Uh, we belong to the um, John Wesley United Methodist Church here in Charleston and West Ashley, and our Thaxton, our Reggie Thaxton Sunday school class, there's so many couples in that class that have, have been great mentors to me in so many ways. And I teach a Bible study, lead a Bible study on Monday mornings with a group of men, and they've also been significant mentors to me in in every way. Um, So, you know, how do you find a mentor if you don't have one? Well, you need to get mentors. And again, I'll go back to John Maxwell. Maxwell says that if you find yourself in a class and you're the smartest guy in that class, you need to find yourself another class. you need to find people smarter than you, more talented than you. And and let me tell you, no matter how bright and brilliant and great you are, there's somebody that's a little more brilliant than you are. Seek them out. Uh, John Maxwell also says that we all need to have a personal growth plan. And a key to that growth is having mentors. So I encourage you to find people who will help make you better, who will be brutally honest with you and who will share both their success secrets with you, but also their failures, because you learn from failure, and people will point out the failures that they've made in order for you not to make those same failures. So if you don't have any mentors, you need to find at least one today. Then ask yourself, whom are you mentoring? Are you adding value to people? Have you helped others to grow? Each of us can find ways daily to help someone else grow if we only look for those opportunities. So the net net of today is you need to find a mentor and you need to be a mentor. Now it's time for today's Tuesday tip. Today, it's all about the difference between predicting rain and building an ark instead. Several years ago, my wife gave me a miniature Noah's Ark with wooden animals that sits in my office. When one of my staff would come in with a problem, I would often point to the ark. 
I did not need them to bring me a problem. I needed them to bring me some solutions to the problem. Then we'd go to work together, but not before. Too often we do the obvious and only predict rain without starting how to figure out how you build an arc or use an umbrella. It's okay to go to others for suggestions on how to solve some of your problems, but it's not okay to depend on someone for those answers. Better to have them react to their suggested solutions than to just sit back and wait for them to give you the answer. The world loves and depends on problem solvers. The ark builders inherited the earth, and they continue to do so today. Our guest angler today is my pal Gene Hallman, president and CEO of the Bruno Event Team in Birmingham, Alabama. The Bruno Event Team is an amazing organization that runs operations for golf tournaments, motor races, and college football game days. Gene was my tournament director on the first Bruno's Memorial Classic, a senior now champions PGA Tour event. We're going to talk about that and a whole lot more today. So let's welcome Gene Hallman to From the Bridge. Well, Gene, how's it going today over in Birmingham? Well, it's going well. We're in the midst of a summertime uh, heat pattern, but I guess that's always normal for this time of the year. Enjoyed the U.S. Open yesterday, and uh, we're ready for now the U.S. Senior Open that we'll be managing in a couple of weeks at Notre Dame, the first time that a USGA National Championship will be hosted on the university campus. That's pretty exciting. Well, Tell us a little bit and and our listeners a little bit about exactly what the Bruno event team does. We are a full service event management company, Rick, that manages every aspect of an event for our clients. And uh, we've had great success with it. Um, There are occasions where we'll just manage a portion of an event for a client. But uh, we typically manage everything from the volunteers to tickets, sponsorships, operations, the, the financials. Uh, every aspect uh, is, it falls under our scope of responsibilities. And, um, and frankly, we've had great success with this model because it's, it's a tough part of the sports marketing industry. It's where a lot of the heavy lifting, so to speak, is done. Uh, you're out in the field uh, selling sponsorships and and, and t- selling tickets, but you're also grinding away creating a venue, typically in golf from from scratch, from you know at a, in a golf course environment where there's typically not a venue that exists for spectators. So you have to create that from scratch. So it's a it's a difficult part uh, of the sports marketing industry, um, but one that we've enjoyed and, and, and done, I think, frankly, well over the past 27 years. Yeah, I like to tell everybody, I'll do all the stuff nobody else wants to do. You do all the dirt, all the dirt business. You know, everybody looks at all the glamour, you know. There's not a whole lot of glamour in building bleachers and, uh, you know, putting stakes and ropes up and, and, you know, getting up before everybody else gets up to make sure the golf course uh, is in pristine shape and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but it's so valuable uh, it, it, in many ways. I'm not saying it's thankless, but in many ways, you know, fans just have no idea what goes in 
to putting on a, a major golf tournament or a game day in college football or what goes on at a racetrack. Um, and and y'all do such a great job of that. You know, you started the company really in the golf business with the what became the Bruno's Memorial Classic. I know it was originally going to be the Bruno's Classic, and then tragically some of the Bruno family passed away in the plane crash, and and the tournament was renamed the Bruno's Memorial Classic. Tell me a little about about that tournament and that experience. Well, it's what got us started, and and frankly, you were the the catalyst for for making all that happen back in the the fall of 1991. Um, Your company had been very successful in the grocery vendor model space uh, with other PGA Tour events, in particular senior PGA Tour events. And at the time, you got to remember that Arnold Palmer and Lee Trevino and Chichi Rodriguez were playing on a consistent basis on that tour. And that tour was at its zenith. It was the hottest property in golf, frankly. Um, this is, of course, pre-Tiger and all that other stuff. So it, it was it was the property to have. And um, you took the concept to Bruno's, at the time a regional grocery um, chain here in the southeastern United States, and um, they jumped all over it. And Well, I remember, Gene, I remember I, I, I called – uh, originally uh, about the possibility of an LPGA event. And, and I had a good buddy at the PGA Tour, Rick Clarkson. They had just lost uh, a sponsor in Nashville for a senior event. And and he called and said, do you think Birmingham would have interest in a senior event? And I called and I got Ronnie's secretary and I told her what I was wanted to talk to him about, a senior tour event. She said, well, we'll get back to you, you know, soon. And I mean, it wasn't 10 minutes later and she called me back and said, Mr. Jones, I've made a terrible mistake. Mr. Bruno would like to see you tomorrow. <laughs> and that's really, that's really kind of how it happened. And obviously you were the tournament director and I was so proud of, of the job you did and the team did in that first year. You would have never known that was a first-year tournament. Well, it was one of those those moments in time where the the product was great. The uh, there there was a tragedy there, as you mentioned, uh, as a backdrop, which created uh, the community wanting to rally around an event. Because six days after the announcement of the tournament, the Bruno's corporate jet crashed, and eleven uh, nine people were killed in that crash, including two of the founding members of this grocery chain. So th- this family, the Bruno family, done so much for the Birmingham community from a philanthropic standpoint that the community really rallied around the event. Also keep in mind, it was two years after the Shoal Creek incident in 1990. So the community was really right for showing what we were all about, inclusion, charity, um, big crowds. And, and the crowds were just mammoth phenomenal george archer won that first event 1992 and from there we continued to build on that event for three years ronnie and his family ronnie bruno and his family sell the grocery chain and a leverage buyout to kkr he calls me immediately and says let's form a sports marketing company i'm not ready to retire and and then we went from there and we we focused on golf in the early years but then we started to diversify beyond golf and uh, motorsports, uh, intercollegiate athletics um, became a, a, a big push of ours. 
uh, everything from the SEC baseball tournament to the University of Alabama uh, football game day experience. So uh, we've been very blessed. Um, we're very busy. We have 70 full-time associates and nine offices throughout the country. Um, but it's been quite a journey, uh, one that we're very uh, proud of. You know, one of my favorite stories about the senior tour was, uh, you know, Nicholas was of the age, and um, but he was still playing, you know, majors and playing the regular tour where he wanted to, but he would occasionally play the senior tour uh, Someone once said that Jack used the senior tour in that era as an ATM machine. <laughs> every, every, every time he needed a big paycheck, he would play. And, and one of the great stories was Trevino, Lee Trevino would send Barbara Nicholas a dozen roses every week Jack didn't play to thank her for keeping him at home so somebody else might be able to win the tournament. I just love that story. Uh, it was just, it was, and you're right, it, it was such a golden era because it was all the names that we had grown up with in golf. Uh, and and it was the, the era of such big personalities, you know, guys that were just a, they could play, but they were so great with spectators. They were unbelievable, and you know, as a host of a pro am, uh, you know, foursome, it just was a. In, in in my opinion, was an era where we may never see again, in terms of the personalities. Um, now, you yeah, one of ahead. the big things, Rick, is they didn't make a whole lot of money, uh, comparatively speaking, in their PGA Tour career. So they really, a lot of them, frankly, even the big names, needed this senior tour experience to help with uh, their their retirement and their finances. Well, it was such a great vision of Dean Beeman. I think there had been a Legends event at Barton Creek that was kind of a one-off and, and that was very, very successful. And then I think Dean said, man, we could have a whole tour um, of these guys. And you know, the rest is history. Uh, you, you mentioned Alabama football, and it, we talk a lot here on our podcast about fans. I mean, the essence of what I think sports marketing is all about is about the fan. And you guys have developed this unique Alabama football game day app that really is for the fans. T- talk about that a little bit. Well, to make a long story short, 15 years ago, I got a, a, an unsolicited phone call from the University of Alabama. Uh, the, the gentleman that headed up the grounds, uh, he, he maintained the, the landscaping there on campus. He was in charge of game day, uh, of the parking and the traffic and the RVs and tailgating on the quad. And he said, look, this thing's grown beyond our ability to handle this thing in-house. Um, can you come down, take a look at it and see if you guys could take over it? And such an unusual phone call and request and concept. And I went down and I'd been to game there before Rick, but I'd never gone with my operational mindset, you know, focused on the fan experience. And I drove around as an LSU game in 2005 and uh, Mike Shula was in his next to last year. And I drove around all over campus and, and took notes, got in a helicopter uh, with the Tuscaloosa police department, took photographs from the air and I uh, said, wow, I think we can make a difference here. And, and we put together a plan. The university hired us. Um, and then we started making changes. And there was the initial pushback from the fans that, hey, you know, this is tradition. We've been, we've been tailgating right here in this spot forever. And now you're moving me over here. But 
we, we, we had a long-term vision uh, to, to get things uh, more enjoyable for the fans, but also more uh, safer. Um, it, was, it was somewhat of a dicey atmosphere in terms of the interaction of cars and people. And so we, we made a lot of difference over uh, a decade, 12, 13 years. And then we decided to introduce this game day app, which uh, is an easy way to get all the information that you need uh, right there on your mobile device uh, about where to go, what to do. Because if you don't make it easy for the fan to get to and from the game, to find parking, um, to know where to tailgate, to know where to park their RV, uh, they're not going to keep coming back. It's too easy in this environment to stay at home and watch the game on television. Uh, and, and, and every college football program in this country is experiencing this challenge of attendance. And, and, and you're talking about the gold standard here in the University of Alabama, that they're even feeling that. And if you don't keep pushing the envelope to improve the fan experience, uh, you're going to start seeing a 2 and 3% erosion per year in your attendance, which when you look up in five or six years is a big negative impact. Well, you guys have done an amazing job there. I've had a chance to come to a game and watch the operational excellence that you've brought uh, to Alabama. And I know we have a number of uh, athletic directors that listen to the podcast. I want to tell them all, if you, if you want to enhance your game day experience, you need to go out and hire the Bruno event team. Uh, because you're absolutely right. Uh, at, at big screen TV, so, you know, HD TV at home, beers are in your fridge, the bathroom's four steps away, and parking was free. Uh, you, you've got to do everything you can uh, to make sure that the fan feels welcomed. And you mentioned something, I think, that I'd, I'd like to go back to. You mentioned about safety. You know, uh, my partners at um, Engagement uh, are, are 2X Disney guys, and they, they tell you all the time that the number one priority at Disney always has been safety. Um, and, you know, Alabama's running a mini theme park, you know, seven Saturdays in the fall. And, and I think people don't think about safety. And when you don't think about safety, then you have, in many cases, tragic, tragic consequences. Well, it's, it's an obvious statement, Rick, to say that all it takes is one incident to really set you back uh, a long ways. And, and, and so when you have that large of an interaction or a mixture of automobiles and fans and alcohol, um, it, it could lead to some tragic consequences if you're not doubling down on safety. So it, there's an expense for the university and additional uh, security for crosswalks and and signage and, and barricades and other things. But in the long term, uh, it, it, it pays. We work very closely, believe it or not, with the risk management group at the university to identify areas and things that we could improve upon. Uh, long story short, there was about a, a three or four year period there where there was a particular intersection where a guard finally told me, he said, look, the fans keep tripping over this uh, culvert that's right here on this corner. As a matter of fact, over the course of two or three years, we've had three broken legs from the way this culvert is built. And if I had not started up a conversation with this gentleman who's posted consistently been right there at that corner, 
I would have never known it, took it to the university. They rebuilt that corner because the way you looked at it, if, 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 you, if you stepped in the wrong way, your foot was going inside that culvert and then it was going to twist, torque, and end up breaking your leg. And, it, and that had happened. So they fixed that. And, that. and that's not a serious, serious safety issue, but it's one that you've got to fix and constantly pay attention to. And you multiply that across the entire campus and you've got to be very uber focused on those issues. Well, I know you also work with the Alabama State Highway Department, um, which is, I think, is fascinating in order to be able to uh, bring people to Tuscaloosa, largely from Birmingham, uh, in a more efficient way. T- t- tell everybody a little bit about that. 80% of our traffic for the University of Alabama football game day comes from one location, and that's the Birmingham area. Uh, either they're coming through Birmingham or they live Bur- in Birmingham, which is highly unusual. Most campuses, you see people coming from all four directions, but here you're coming straight from Birmingham down one interstate, and for the longest time, people had just assumed they were going to get off at the same exit they would get off when they were coming to the university on a Tuesday. Uh, and, and, and as a result, you had complete gridlock. Well, we got with a highway department. Uh, we got up in the air in helicopters, and we scouted out four alternative routes that got you to Bryant-Denny. And over a course of years, we spread the traffic out evenly among these four routes, thereby making it a lot quicker and easier to get to the stadium. And then the same thing with egress, uh, coming back home, coming back four different ways to Birmingham, it helped immensely. Well, I tell people all the time in the in the event business, it's it's never the bear in the woods you worry about; it's the mosquitoes. And uh, and y'all do a great job of bringing bug spray. I mean, y'all y'all have really figured out. Uh, how to enhance the fan. And you used the term it was an expense for the university. I see it just the opposite. I, I think it's an investment by the university because if you don't have this, you're going to lose fans. And fans in college athletics especially pay for literally everything. I want to switch gears with you for our final question today. I've been talking about largely about mentors today. Uh, how do you go about mentoring your team? Well, <laughs> The first thing you do is recognize that each person is a unique individual and responds differently to uh, a leadership style. I think the analogy would you I would use, and, and this may be an oversimplification, but back in the day, let's say Coach Bryant, I would dare say that he he, he coached pretty much all of his players the same way. And maybe managers back in that era in corporations did the same thing. Yeah, I had a friend at Clemson. I had a friend at Clemson named Larry Bell who played for Frank Howard. And Larry said he was 35 years old before he found out his first name really wasn't pissing it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he probably called a lot of people pissing it. And that's just the point. Yeah. They, it was one size fits all. We can't do that today. And I know for a fact that Coach Saban, and, and all other major coaches adapt their coaching style based upon that player's personality. They even go so far as to have um, uh, psychologists that work with the team and get to know the individual players and, and find out how to push their buttons properly to motivate them. Well, we don't have a psychologist on our staff. It's me, um, and, and I have to adapt my style according to that individual's um, personality 
and what they respond to. So uh, that's the first thing is to adapt accordingly to make sure you're pushing the, the right buttons. Um, and then there are just a lot of simple things that maybe aren't so simple if you don't take the time to do them properly. Uh, you, you praise in a group. You admonish one-on-one. Um, and, and, and if you truly care about your people, they can sense it. They know it. Uh, they, they know that you've got their best interest at heart. If you, if you genuinely care, take time to learn about them, to learn about their life outside of the office. And when the opportunity presents itself to leave the company for something bigger and better, to encourage that, to, um, to, to tell them, hey, I think this is a good move for you. Three or four years ago, I had a young man who was in his mid-20s. Um, he, had, he had gone to the University of Alabama, was a graduate assistant on the football team, helping with the offensive line to put, help put himself through school. And um, he, he then came to work for us, did a great job. Coach Saban called and said, uh, is Zealous ready to come back to the university and work on my staff as assistant director of football operations? And I said, I think so, Coach. And, and so I brought Ellis in, and he went and met with Coach. And over a three- or four-day period, he, he anguished and tormented himself is this the right thing to do? And finally, I said to him, I said, this is the right thing to do. The guy is arguably the greatest college football coach in history, and you're going to learn with the best. And so he he took the leap. Um, he's been there four years. He is now the chief operating officer for the University of Alabama football program at age 30. I'm very proud of him. Um, and, and that's a different way of mentoring someone. And you've done that with me, Rick, frankly. Is is you know it's one thing when they work with you, but it's another thing when you're able to help them grow beyond your company, work with an, another organization, and you're very proud of their success and accomplishments. Um, you know, outside of your organization, you've done a great job with your company, and you've brought us a, a lot of great insights today. And I got I got to have you back really really soon to continue these discussions. So. Gene Hallman, thanks for being with us today from the bridge. You're welcome, Rick. Anytime. Look forward to talking again. It's time again for On the Road with Rick. I love fried chicken. Let me repeat that. I love fried chicken. It's always been my favorite meal on Father's Day, and if I have anything to say about it, it'll be my last meal on earth. I've eaten great fried chicken at a lot of places, but my very favorite is a place 15 miles south of Colorado Springs, Colorado, called the Juniper Valley Ranch. This restaurant is run by the same family for four generations. They only serve two entrees, baked ham, or the amazing fried chicken. They serve everything family style with great side dishes, including rice potatoes with gravy, coleslaw, okra casserole, and homemade biscuits with apple butter. So you can eat until you're sick. There are several choices for dessert too, but 
you need to get the peppermint ice cream. That kind of cuts through all the grease that you've eaten uh, with the fried chicken. Their chicken is actually skillet fried and not deep fried, and that makes all the difference. So if you find yourself in Denver or Colorado Springs, find this place, the Juniper Valley Ranch. So that's our show for today. We'll see you again soon from the bridge. This has been your captain, Rick Jones, from The Bridge. If you like what you hear, please share, subscribe, and leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast directory. Everybody wants me to be what they want me to be. Trying